Welcome back to Story Matters with Nick yeah. and Heather. Yeah, welcome back. And today we are actually not going to be talking about the book we promised to be talking about. I don't remember what book we promised now. We that were... was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, we were going to talk about uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't start um, that one. You decided, yeah. Yeah, so a little uh, a little backstory about that. So I'm a fantasy author, uh, struggling fantasy author uh, of the Anya series, which includes two books, Ages of Anya and The Princess of Anya. Uh, they've received very good reviews by uh, Kirkus Magazine and uh, Indie Reader. And I'm currently working. Books. Yes, thank you. And uh, and I'm currently working on the third book um, that is in the same setting, The Feral Girl, mm -hmm. which should be coming out hopefully this year. That's um, actually pretty exciting, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, but the problem is that I have a very hard time reading fantasy, especially if it's an author who is alive today and who mm -hmm. is popular and he and he's currently writing. Because while I'm reading it, I can't help but think about my own story. It just, it's impossible. It's like I can't sure. just turn off the writer part of my brain and just go <laughs> into it and enjoy it as right. a reader would enjoy. Homeric myths. I like reading the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. I like reading the Viking myths. I like reading yeah. the Kalevala, which oh, is the yeah. myth of the Finnish people. But what I realized yeah. is that you can't write that way. Nowadays, like like you just publishers do not want that. They they want a more modern style. So I had to kind of force myself to learn how to write in a more modern style. You know, I, I had to find an author to read who was more modern in the way they write, um, and that wouldn't you know kind of trigger me and you know my you know influence me uh, you know. With my fantasy, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that being an author, it's a skill. You really need to be practicing and training your, your brain all the time. If I find an author that is genuinely, that, that I feel like, wow, like I'm impressed because I don't think I could have written this book, you know, um, that's something I can, I can learn from. But Tell us, who is that? Sh should I? <laughs> I'm all, you know, it's almost embarrassing for me to say, but the author is yeah. Stephen King. And, um, there it is. And it's uh, <laughs> weird because I never really liked Stephen King. Um, I kind mm -hmm. of put off reading him. I remember in the 80s, there was this almost obsessive, exp like Stephen King got super popular in, in the 80s. Oh, well, all and, that uh, stuff was then, yeah. And in the I 90s, but a... yeah. But I remember everybody was just like, Stephen King, Stephen King. And I think I kind of got turned off a little bit because oh, sure. everybody... I mean, well, I grew up watching, you know, anything that was broadcast on television. It's like a mini series of his. Like, my mom was a huge Stephen King fan. So, you know, she'd be watching that stuff and I'd be watching it too. You know, like I yeah. saw The Stand before I even knew it was, you know... I, 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 did, I, I saw The Stand with yeah. my mom too, which was funny. Yeah, and yeah, and the original It, it with Tim Curry. It was Curry. a good series, I mean, yeah. And Pet yeah, Cemetery was good, and uh, Needful Things. Yeah. 
Stephen King, I think he was a kind of a victim of his own success. And I remember even my brother, who does not read, my brother does not read books, but even he was reading a Stephen King book because he was just kind of <laughs> swept away in the popularity of Stephen King. And, and so I, I kind of was thinking about Stephen King like Daniel Steele, kind of like just this, you oh, know, someone okay. who, yeah, yeah. like I used to joke and say, people who don't read read Stephen King, you know. I read The Stand um, because I saw the miniseries and mm -hmm. I remember in the miniseries of The Stand, I didn't like the ending. The ending just didn't make any sense to me. It just seemed kind of like pointless. And so I thought <laughs> maybe the book would be better. Maybe the book ha would have a better explanation of the ending. Yes. So I read Always. it and I'm like, I, di I didn't like the end of that book uh, either. I like the <laughs> setup. I like the beginning, but the ending, I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, yeah, did you know that's a trope for Stephen King? I mean, you probably noticed it in it. Like I, I did the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah like, in the movie <laughs> they mentioned that no one likes your yeah. endings because one because Bill, <laughs> one of the yeah. one of the characters is an author, and I imagine he's like you know uh, Stephen King. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Know. That was Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So they're yeah. saying, oh yeah, you know, you know, no one likes your endings. And I and also and I felt the same way. Uh, I read the Gunslinger, and I know you like the Gunslinger, but I also read the. I did like the Gunslinger. I read the high, the I read the Gunslinger in high school, and I was just disappointed by the ending. And and I'm like, okay, I guess I just don't like Stephen King. I've actually heard that what he does is he he starts writing with this idea, but he doesn't quite know where it's going to go, and he kind of figures out where it's going to go. As he writes. As he's writing And that's it, not yes. what I feel is a good technique. Look, when I write a book, I have the whole story planned out in my head. Like, I know where, where I'm going with it. And I know what right. the ending is going to be. And I work my way toward that ending. And, but <laughs> I saw the movie and I liked it. And I liked the ending. I said, this is a good ending. So I said, maybe I'll try reading the book. And then, and then I went to the bookstore and I had a problem because the book is so thick that I can barely hold it in my uh, in my hands. I yeah. actually need a little bag to carry it around because it's so it's so big. big. Um, mm -hmm. But but you know but I said you know I've been reading a lot of these really short like kids books lately, uh -huh. and I said you know I I got to get back to some adult fiction and you know something with yeah. a lot of thick thickness to it and uh, and a book that you that I know it, it actually ends well because. You know, I mean, sure, like, okay, so this book is 1,200, hold on, it's almost 1,200 pages long, okay? Yeah. But mm -hmm. it, this is really short if you compare it to, like, Game of Thrones, you know, or Song of Ice mm -hmm. and Fire, which maybe is, what, like 10,000 pages? Like, I don't know how long that's going to end up being. And we don't oh, even God. know where that's going. We don't even know how that's going to end yet. I mean, it might have a, it <laughs> might have a dumb ending. So for me, endings are very, very important. If it doesn't end yeah. well, I don't think it's a good story. So, so what are your feelings about Stephen King and it? Because I think I've expressed. Well, um, I, you know, for a long time, it was my favorite Stephen King book. Um, okay, I, I loved it. <laughs> it was a five star, you know, experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the impressions that it left me with I don't overwhelmingly remember the story except when I you know watch one of the movies or something and um <clears throat> you know you do lose a lot 
in the films from his that's true i was surprised by how different it was like when i went into the book i was worried that the movie uh, would spoil everything for me because i knew the 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 yeah no it doesn't in a way it's so different it's so different you know yeah, you get to read about these kids growing up and like all the and how complex their challenges growing up is. And that's always something that Stephen King has been really good at. Like Carrie was his first novel. And I mean, that's about, you know, the horrors of a woman going through puberty sure, and sure. how religion pressures women into being these pure symbols. Yeah, and- I liked yeah, I liked Carrie, I liked Cujo, I liked uh, Christine. I think I think that Stephen King is best when he's doing more like personal stories. I think mm-hmm. he's very, very good at making you relate to the characters. It for me is a lot better than The Stand because I think The Stand he he was trying to tell this big story about the end of the world. The end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't really that interested in in that or maybe the way he did it. Yeah, it's 1,100 pages, but it's not this epic scale story. It's not about the, the world being in danger. It's it's really about these children and the, their experiences and the things that they had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. he does that so well. The characters feel so real and their their relationships and the dialogue is just is phenomenal. And, and you really tend to forget that you're reading about... Um, you know, characters, they feel real, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole point of like his fictionalized, you know, the setting of dairy is that it could be any town USA with any kids USA. And, um, you know, yeah, these things took place in the past and the bullying is, was a little bit different then, uh, than it is today, but it still all amounts to the same thing. It's still, you know, these kids are struggling. They're, um, kids on the outside of the fringes of, you know, um, their peers and loser club. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they just, they have their all, they all have their own individual issues to solve while at the same time they end up becoming this like cohesive group of outsiders that protect and take care of one another. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and if something shameful happens to one of them, they don't, you know, make their friends feel bad about it or, you know, they don't, um, you know, it's a good story about friendship. I mean, it's obviously, it's not Harry Potter. It's not, you know, but these kids are all backing each other up. It reminded me me a little bit of Harry Potter though, because just about how much you... Just how much, yeah. just how likable the characters are. and They're very likable and, and, and they love their yeah. friends and you can tell that. And, you know, these kids are tasked with making these impossible decisions, you know, about the problems in their lives. And in some ways it's just, it's heartbreaking because, you know, as a child that you had to go through the same thing sometimes like the decisions you made about your feelings and how you felt about your friends and things impacts you for a very long time in your life so uh and whether or not you can surmount your issues that the things that scared you when you were a kid um are you gonna make it (laughs) you know or are you gonna let that eat you up inside until you can't deal with it anymore yeah what are you gonna do with the trauma afterwards and 
So when I read it, you know, and sometimes Stephen King gets very in your face about things. He just puts the sentence down and you're like, did I just read what I did? You know, you go back and read it because he's just like, bam, there it is. And I, I, I kind of felt like in it, you know, a lot of these kids are going through some like grossly traumatic things. Yeah. And so many people get very angry about this. They're like, why is Stephen King writing about this? He must be sick in the head. He must be gross. He must be this, that, or the other. And I'm like, you guys take this all out of context. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, 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 yeah, like, I was surprised by how sentimental it is. Like, like, like I didn't get a sense that, you know, yeah, there are these... Because I've read, like, even the, in the fantasy genre, uh, Stephen Erickson mm -hmm. has a, a book called The Darkness That Comes Before. And mm. the book is, even though it's fantasy, it is so grotesque and just dark and brutal and violent. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a sense of any sort of empathy or, or you know, in this world. It just It's mm -hmm. just this bleak world. And... I would I would wonder about that author. I would say maybe there's something wrong with that guy, you know, because of the way he writes. But I didn't right. get that sense with Stephen King. Yeah, he does talk about dark things, but at the same time, there's a tremendous uh, level of of empathy, a show of sensitivity toward people's feelings in the right. story. So I I don't I never got a sense that Stephen King is a bad guy. In fact, I think he's probably a very nice person. I just think, I he, think just, he is. Yeah, yeah I think I, he's a good person. People get so angry because they think he's racist or he's writing from a racist point of view. And it's like, well, it's not that. Like, I, he's always tried to have a diverse, you know, kind of cast. And he's always come from this place where, like, hey, I grew up in, you know, this no-name dairy main town yeah, yeah. place where all this stuff happened. And I know what these people went through. Oh I yeah, I mean, it know, happened to them. It's you know yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. That would be like saying you know Steven Spielberg is racist because he made Amistad or something. You <laughs> yeah. know, and and they're, you know the, yeah, he he does talk about like uh, all the horrible things that black people went through, but it's from a sympathetic light. It's not from a let's yeah, make fun of the uh, racism, but it's more of like this is horrible, this is shocking, um, and one of the main characters is black. And actually, one thing that I was really impressed with, um, and this book was written in 1986, uh, I think, mm -hmm. and I was just so impressed with it because in the movie, there's a character named Mike Hanlon, who's black, uh -huh. and he doesn't mention in it, uh, there are several scenes where he introduces Mike, and he never even brings up that he's black. And so at first I was thinking, well, maybe he was white in the book, but maybe they turned them black just for the movie. Mm -mm. But then what I discovered, no. like hundreds of pages later, he just kind of mentions when he's talking to his father who's dying of cancer and his father is talking about the racism that he had to endure when he was mm -hmm. a young man because he was black. And I'm like, oh my God, this character's black. But he didn't bring it up at first yeah, because, of, because he was telling the story through the character's eyes. And so he wasn't going to just be like, oh, yeah, he's black, he's black, he's black. Like, he wasn't going to make a big deal out of it. It was just, yeah, he's black, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't like something that just, you know, he didn't need to play the race card necessarily to right. to emphasize, oh, look no, how this character's doesn't. black. But And then later, 
once you get to know the character as a character, then he brings up, oh yeah, he he's black and he had to he had to endure <laughs> racism. And I just thought he did that so well. Like he did that so well. I was just mm-hmm. really impressed with that. Um, but I'm only like a hundred pages in right now, and the book is enormous. I have like a it first enormous. edition hardback. It's enormous. And it's just yes. Huh? Yeah, and it's hard, you know, it's hard for me to hold, so I got to get in a certain position and prop it up on pillows. <laughs> like, I can't hold this sucker Look, You know what's funny? Thing. I actually have one of these wooden uh, book holder things. It like uh, it has like little latches, like you kind of fit your book into it. It has little latches that yeah. holds the pages, the pages open, and the book is so big that the latches don't fit. It's it's like too big <laughs> for this thing that's designed to hold books. So, yeah. but but anyway, yeah, yeah, it is big. So yeah, I'm only on page five hundred and six. So this okay. uh, this episode of the story matters is going to be a two parter. We're going to have to come back to it when we finish. But yeah, so far, it, so. yeah. But so far, from what I've read, uh, I would agree with you. It's a for me, it's a four star book. Um, I I really and I think what we talked a lot on this show about books like Circe was I think the best example where we just none of the characters are likable, none of the characters are relatable, and mm-hmm. this book I found every character and there's a lot of characters. And they're all likable, and they're all relatable, and I care about well, yeah. all of them. I, I want to know what happens to every single one of these characters. He knows that people are human. You can still be fucked up and be a good person. And Oh, yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, these we characters all have, have flaws. Yeah, we all have fucked up thoughts, and we're still good people. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter, and I think it's a good thing that he's got this in his book. He shows people it's okay that, you know, but also that... People can do extraordinarily good or they can do extraordinarily bad as well. I remember reading an interview with Stephen King where he said, I'm I'm not really that concerned about the movie adaptations of my books because for me, uh, literature is a superior art form, right? It's a superior art form to movies. And I've always loved movies. I mean, I'm a huge movie fan. So to me, that felt like, okay, oh, yeah. you know, is, is that true? I mean, even though I write books, but I'm like, is, is that really true? Like, are books a superior uh, art form? I mean, I thought it was great that he believed that. Because if, you, because if he believes that sincerely, I think it's going to motivate you to write more. You know, because when I'm right. writing, I'm, all, I'm always thinking to myself, God, you know, if my book was just a, became a movie, then my everybody that in my family members and friends would, would probably watch it. But they won't right. read my book because they don't read anything, you know? Um, right. So, well, yeah, so a couple days ago, yeah, so, so a couple days ago on Sunday, um, I was reading it and I was getting really into it <laughs> i was getting i was really just absorbed with the, like the characters and the story what their feelings what was going on and then i went to see uh shang shang chi the the marvel movie because i'm a big marvel fan ah, and yes. uh, shang chi got really good reviews you know and uh i think it got like a 93 percent. and i was watching yeah, it wow. yeah and so i was watching it and toward the end of the the movie, I mean, I had a lot of cool stuff and, you know, some spoilers for Shang-Chi, but, you know, there's like a dragon in it and just, just like things that I would enjoy. Sure. But as I was watching it, I couldn't help but, but feel like 
there's just so much that a book could do that this movie isn't doing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. sure, like you can see the dragon and you can see this cool little you know, village where everybody does kung fu, but there's mm-hmm. just so much that that is not being communicated that that a, that a book would be able to communicate. There, there's just so uh-huh. much, like how the characters are feeling and thinking and just, you know, the, you know, okay, what does it feel like to jump on a dragon's back? You know, what's that experience like? You know, you mm-hmm. see the guy doing it, but it's like, it, it, there's just so much more that a book could give you, you know, that you could okay. get. And, and, and because of that juxtaposition of reading a lot of Stephen King and then going to see this movie, it, it made me rethink that, you know, what he said about books being a superior art form. And I thought there's definitely something that books can offer that you just don't get from other media. Even if it's just a, a, a tactile thing, even if, you know, what is the dragon, let's say you, you're writing about a dragon, you know, what, what is, mm-hmm. you know, what does the texture of the dragon feel like? What does it smell like? What is it, you know, what does it make you feel? Right. You know, it's like you're just, you're not getting, there's just so many feelings and emotions you're not getting from a movie mm-hmm. that you get yeah. from a book. And I think it's unfortunate that people just, more people don't read uh because they're missing out on this, you know. Oh, no, I agree with you. But I think that a lot of people are still reading. I don't think the art of reading or the art of writing is ever going to go out of style. I mean, it's just going to change like everything else does over time. But You know, people always say, well, the book was better than the movie, and I definitely think that's the case here. And um, even when it's a scene that is pretty much the same, because in the in the movie, it, it makes it seem like it's primarily a clown that they're dealing with. But mm-hmm. in the book, they really show that it's whatever the kid's greatest fears is that's chasing them. And it only looks like a clown because one of the kids is scared of clowns. But another kid, uh, he's scared of werewolves because he goes to see a movie with a werewolf and it kind of freaks mm-hmm. him out. And what I thought was so clever is, I don't know if you remember, in, in the book, there's uh, two kids, Bill and Richie. And Richie yeah. goes to see this werewolf movie. This is back in the, in the 1958 when the, you know, the movies, the special effects were terrible. But it still scares yeah. him. And then they go into this old house because Bill wants to find the, uh, the clown that, that killed his his brother, brother. his yeah. little brother, and they get, and, but the chapter is written from the perspective of Richie. And in that chapter, uh, you see that the werewolf attacks them, and Richie, like, they're, they're scared, they're running away, trying to escape from this werewolf. And the whole time, they're just talking about werewolf, werewolf, werewolf. But then there's another chapter where you see some things from Bill's perspective, and Bill never saw the werewolf. He just saw the clown. And I thought that clown. was such a yeah. clever way of of doing it. You know, I was like, that was really good. So and none yeah. of that and none of that's in the movie. Like the werewolf isn't in the movie. So I was kinda like, Yeah, this is like way better. In the Dark Tower series particular in particular goes into Pennywise Origins. Yeah. Um, and he is an Eldritch abomination. You know, um, Stephen King was very much influenced by, you know, old westerns, Ray Bradbury. 
Oh, uh, and he mentions Lovecraft uh, a couple times. In this yes. Book. For me, I don't know if people actually get scared reading books because I never really got a sense of horror. Like, I never felt horrified um, uh, reading, but I, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, well, I was terrified by The Exorcist, like, both the movie and the book while I was reading it. I read oh, the really? Book you in genuinely had a period. sense of fear? Yeah, in a 24-hour period because I could not go to bed. Really? <laughs> I, don't, I don't yeah, know if I, I just... I, would... I don't know if it just doesn't affect me for some reason. It just... I don't know. Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in um, a religious household. So, you know, stuff like... Even though I wasn't Catholic and I, you know, was pretty sure... What it, like, I caught... <laughs> I caught The Exorcist on, you know, a local public station when I was... A young kid. Yeah, like well, yeah. When you're younger, and... I can see that. I I was raised yeah. too in the religious uh, school, mm-hmm. so I, I can understand yeah. that uh, being scared when you're younger. But maybe now I just it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, um, like now these days, it's really not that bad. I mean, of course, I still have you know, um, you know, things hang on here or there, like little superstitions, and for the most part, I can like laugh them off. But at the time I read The Exorcist, I was only like 20 years old, mm-hmm. and I hadn't completely stepped out of that circle yet it, it takes um, time yeah aliens used to freak me out a whole bunch mm-hmm. like not the ridley scott version even though that it it did terrify me as a kid too great stuff but right. i like to confront my fears i'm talking about the grays you know like i yeah. just had this terrible habit as a kid of watching these scary movies when my parents wouldn't be around sure. like scaring myself half to death right, right. and then like <laughs> You know, like, freaking out about it. So I've always had this, like, weird fear about the greys and just how, like, when I see them, it's just such a primal fear. I can't even explain it. It's just, like, I can't handle it. That makes sense, though, because I think with aliens, I think there's a little gray area where it's like, okay, this this could be real because there's, there's some... Plausibility to that. Okay, we know there's, that there's stars yeah, out there, there's planets and, out there, and aliens probably do exist. I don't think they've ever visited us, but I think they probably do exist. Like, what was funny is I was actually in uh, my house, I was watching YouTube, and all the electricity went out in the house mm-hmm. for just the power just went out, and I had nothing to do but read. So I was like, well, I just, you know, I got my uh, cell phone flashlight. And I was just reading it in the darkness, and I was fine. I, you know, I wasn't. I was like, "Oh, this is a good mm-hmm. opportunity to be scared," but it didn't really do anything for me. What I did want to say is, I feel more um, sympathy, like like more like for me, it's more of like a story about trauma, and it's yeah. more sad. I think for me, it is more sad because mm-hmm. even though oh, yeah. the clown doesn't exist, these kids go through so much. Uh, abuse, uh, physical and verbal abuse from their parents, yes. from their uh, peers, from bullies. And that stuff does happen. I mean, people have to deal with the abuse of others. And so, and I remember yes. when we were talking about this book, I was wondering whether or not uh, it could be maybe the clown is a metaphor for uh, childhood trauma, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was intentional on Stephen King's part, but I definitely think it could be read that way because yes. they do go through so much trauma, these kids. You oh, know? yes, and I absolutely think it was intentionally written. You think, too. okay, yeah. 
Yeah, so, I think so. <clears throat> the specter of Pennywise or whatever it is these kids are, yeah. you know, seeing that freaks them out a whole lot. You know, it's, you know, it's still that boogeyman under the stairs that we all fear, you know, when we go down to the basement when they're kids. And I get that because I had a creepy basement in my house and there were always noises and stuff going on that you just, you know, were like, well, I'm spending enough time in this basement and I'm going upstairs now because this is creepy and I don't like it. If I had to have a criticism, I would just say that I just felt like the, the people in the book are just they seem so much worse than you know it's like okay it's a monster but what's what's you know one of these excuse of you know um like the the scene that really just kind of blew me away is there's a scene with uh beverly she's the one female when she's Uh um uh when she's an adult and i i don't know i guess she was abused by her dad and uh, mm-hmm. possibly sexually abused. I'm not sure. I didn't get that far. Um, but uh, but then she she uh, marries an abusive man. You know. Man. And yes. there's a scene where she gets this phone call telling her, okay, the you know the clown is back, and she has to go uh, as an adult and meet up with her friends and try to confront this monster. And she wants to leave, and her husband is like, "Where the hell are you going?" And this scene, it's it's actually told through the perspective of the abusive husband. Mm-hmm. And this is where maybe, you know how you said, you know, people maybe think Stephen King is messed up because he yeah. really, really gets into this guy's head. I mean, it is amazing how yes. he does this. It's like, it's like I, I feel like he under, really deeply understands the minds of these abusive people and it was incredible like reading and it all and it made me feel like very kind of uncomfortable and creepy you know reading through mm-hmm. this guy's head like how this guy how this abusive man is is thinking about his wife and and how he manipulates her and controls her it was so well written it was just so well written um but later you know then you see things through her perspective and you'll realize okay you know, Stephen King is not pro-abuse, obviously, but yeah. but he does kind of let you peer into the mind of these abusive people, and he, he does it so well. When he's writing from the perspective of a male character, you kind of expect a male character, you know? Sure, I, maybe sure, yeah. it's just because I'm a, a, a woman, but I just kind of expect a male character to be like, well boobs <laughs> you know i just right, right, i don't right, know right. maybe that's wrong of me but no you know, i i know I, I, I think you're right especially especially when he's he's i i don't think he does it in a way that is like unrealistic like i think you know he, he's writing about you know uh boys that are just coming into puberty and of course oh, yeah, that's absolutely. all boys in, in puberty think about so to <laughs> right. me yeah that makes sense yeah, um, it makes sense to me. You know? Interestingly enough, I didn't get, and maybe because I'm a guy, but I really felt that the way, I mean, yeah, sure, there's a little bit of sexualizing uh, Beverly, but but I, yeah, but I think bit. the way that, like, the, the one kid I, I adored is uh, Ben, Ben Hanscom. He's the, mm-hmm. the, the, the fat kid, I guess. And, yeah. uh, and he has his crush on Beverly. And mm-hmm. just the way they 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 did that, he never 
overly sexualizes Beverly because for him, he just he's in love with her. You know, like he just he just yeah. sees her just as a just a love interest, not like a sexual thing. You know. Well, right. Yeah, and, and the I mean, way he handles that, either. it's so sweet and it's so nice. And 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 I remember feeling that because I had a lot of crushes growing up. So oh, I was sure. like, oh my God, like I can so relate to this character, you know? Oh, sure, um, absolutely. So I, yeah, I loved I just... it. I loved the way he, he dealt with every, all the characters. Last night I saw Tarantino's movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did you see oh, that Oh, I movie? haven't seen that one, no. And I know that uh, Tarantino, he has a foot fetish. You know, he, he oh, always, yes. He always yeah. has... These women, you know, running around barefoot, you know, close up on their feet all the time. They're yes. always putting their feet up. <laughs> and he does this in this movie over and over and over again. Oh, and there's a lot of really young girls. He sexualizes yes. a lot of these yes. underage girls in this movie. Right. And he does it over and over and over again. And, of course, the way he does it is, you know, it's like there's a bunch of, like, hippie girls. And I think there are... Like, you know, the Manson, you know how, like, Charles, because Charles Manson's right, in the movie. exactly. This so, is how they were. So yeah. he has a lot of, like, young, hippie, teenage girls around him. But mm-hmm. I almost felt like that was Tarantino's way of kind of excusing this weird fetish he has for underage yeah. girls and feet. It's like, well, hey, you know, I'm telling a story about, you know, Charles Manson. And I'm like, okay, but he doesn't do it in a way where... You're kind of like turned off by the sexualization of these girls. He does mm. it, you know, he does it in a way where just the way like the camera kind of lingers over the girls' bodies, it doesn't sure. look like he's saying sexualizing teenage girls is bad. It almost looks like he's kind of like he's enjoying it, you know, he's enjoying mm-hmm. what he, he's filming these girls. Oh, yeah, Tarantino's a weird, weird so, guy. So, I, I mean, they're. Yeah, uh, yeah, and from Dust Till Dawn, he did that to uh, Selma Hayek, too, you know. She yeah. did this dance, and, uh, you know, she stuck her foot in um, Quentin Tarantino's mouth in one scene. Oh, and God, yeah. And poured, like, yeah. wine down into his mouth and everything, and I'm just like, you know, he's he's got a boner under that, and yes. it's gross. Yeah, exactly. Gross. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, and people, yeah. yeah, and it's weird because people talk about other directors, like, you know, Joss yes, Whedon yeah. uh-huh, complained yeah, about I the male gaze, but I think, you know, Tarantino does it too, and maybe worse than Joss Whedon, but no one complains about Tarantino for some reason, because I don't know, his no, movies No, think it's just like an art house film, and right, because you know, he does right. do really great movies, I mean, I've, I've loved several of his movies. Yeah, I, yeah, I, like, I, mean, I like Kill Bill, but he definitely, he does have a thing yeah. going and maybe we all do. I mean, I you know maybe I do it too. But you know, but uh, yeah, well, I think but, everybody does. So yeah, so like with it, I you know I didn't get the sense that Stephen King was perving out. Maybe, I don't know. I haven't read the whole book. So he maybe, doesn't. No, maybe, he doesn't. Maybe he does. It. But Be- know, Beverly is a character. I mean, she's a genuine person. He's always written women respectfully, and these women have problems yeah. just like the men. Yeah. In these books, you know, I mean. He hasn't done anything to his female characters that he hasn't done to the men. Sure. And I mean, of course, the way the men deal with it is different than the way the women deal with it. Because, again, Stephen King is intelligent. He knows that we've been socialized differently right. according to how our genitalia presents. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and, and I think the job of, a, of any good writer is to try to get into the heads 
of different people. And, and, sure. and as far as I'm aware, from what I can tell, I think he does a really good job of, um, of getting into the heads of all these different people. You know, uh, racist people and abusive people and people who are being abused and women and men and older people. And, and that's a challenge. That's why writers almost have to be uh, very empathic individuals because we're always mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, what would, what would it be like to be, you know, an 11-year-old girl? Well, I mean, there's no way to do that. He'd, he'd have to imagine it. But he he does a right. really good job of that. And I just that impressed me. And I think that's why... I look forward to reading this book. Uh, you know, it's not, even though it's so long, um, and sometimes you know, I, I do feel like some of the details could be cut down, but I I never really feel like it's a chore to read. Like I'm not like oh god, well, I gotta great. read that. I'm like no, I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. So so I'm yeah. ha- I'm happy. I'm happy. I found uh, someone I can read that um, that I can just sit back and just be a reader. And this is something I brought up in other you know, podcasts is that, you know, when you read, you know, let's say Lord of the Rings, I mean, you get so much description of vis- you know, what you see visually. And I think nowadays mm-hmm. um, there's been a big shift in the way stories are written. Um, they have to be written in a way that where there's more going on inside the characters' heads because... When, when Lord of the Rings was written, that was the only way that a young person could experience an adventure. Now, you know, they can pop in their PlayStations mm-hmm. and they could you know, play a video game like The Witcher or Skyrim and kind of get a uh-huh. similar experience or, that you're, that you're, or they can you know, watch a movie, any number of fantasy movies and kind of get that experience. But back in the 1930s, there was none of that. The only thing that you had was Lord of the Rings. So, so I understand maybe why at that time, you know, reading 20 pages describing what a city looked like, you know, was fine. But nowadays, you know, there needs to be a shift in the way books are written. And we need to get into the characters' heads because, you know, Tolkien doesn't talk that much about what Frodo is feeling and thinking. It almost never really does. Uh, this mm-hmm. book, half the time we're in the characters' heads, and that's something you can't get from TV and movies and video games. You don't know what right. people are thinking or fi- I mean, maybe there's ways to do it in movies, but with books, you know that you can't beat the way books do it. And so, mm-hmm. and that's something I know Stephen King does a lot. He dwells a lot in the realm of the characters' heads. It's kind of like you know how, and no artist will admit to this, but I think everyone's full of crap. Um, why realism, why realism and art stop becoming popular? You, you know, photorealistic paintings because the photograph was invented, you know? Um, oh, sure. And so, and so after the photograph was invented, you see more and more artists leaning toward impressionism and cubism and abstract art and other forms of art that cameras can't, can't capture. And I think that's what's happening with literature. Literature Books are capturing what film can't, you know, and so right. I think that, and I think Stephen King is a great a pioneer of that of that type of of storytelling. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so, so that's it for it, chapter one, and uh, stay tuned for, uh, you know, in a few weeks we will discuss 
It Chapter 2, the, the second okay. half of It. And so I've been Nick. And I'm Heather. And uh, thanks for listening. This has been Story, <laughs> Story Matters. Yes. Bye. Bye.